to another episode of the Greenlight Podcast, where we talk all about the wonders of consent, pop culture, sex positivity in the media, and that includes things like TV, music, Hollywood, you name it, pop culture, we are here to analyse it. So we have an excellent guest for you today, because we are talking about image-based abuse today and the whole celebrity sex tape phenomenon. So we are joined by Dr. Mary McGill, who is a media studies lecturer and researcher at the Institute of Technology in Carlow. She's a former Hardyman scholar at the National University of Ireland in Galway, where her doctoral study explored homosocial surveillance, neoliberal digital culture and self-representation. She's also a journalist. Her first book, The Visibility Trap, Sexism, Surveillance and Social Media, was published by New Island Books last year. Mary, how are you keeping today? Thank you for joining me and Alex. Oh, thank you both for the invitation. And this is a very, very interesting and dare I say it, very timely topic. Yeah, it is kind of timely. And Alex says, you know, your experience of sex tapes, would you be like your first one would kind of be around Pamela Anderson or would you be a Paris Hilton person? No, no. So Paris Hilton was very much my first ever introduction to the idea of a sex tape or whatever it was. Me and my sister were huge fans of The Simple Life. Uh, whenever we were growing up and I'm pretty sure that kind of happened after um, Paris uh, Hilton sex tape so we were aware of it and what it was but we weren't really I don't know I don't think at any point was like considering the morals of it having been released or anything like that and then one thing that really sticks with me that I did remember um, I actually remembered it today in 20, in 2007 Vanessa Hudgens who was then in High School Musical had her photos leaked which has actually happened to her a couple of times now but I remember her photos leaking then and then I was in secondary school I was in maybe second year or something so there was a lot of discourse of course like loads of the boys in my year had the photos on their phone everyone was looking at them talking about them and that kind of thing so that was kind of two standout events from my life two standout cultural events that I remember around this kind of topic Mm, I suppose you touched on something there that like we don't really think of the morals and the ethics of this so Mary talk to us about that because the celebrity sex tape was like just such a joke for a long time it was a pop culture moment of like haha we get to see you naked like no one thought of it as a form of sexual abuse until now really yeah isn't that wild like you know how long I mean we're talking about the 90s here with with Pamela Anderson that's a while ago now you know and it's I think in a way it shows the power of naming and language because we have language now. Um, and obviously the, that language has been translated into law and we can talk about a bit more about what that means. But I think even the naming of it, even in saying, being able to categorize and say, this is abuse, it's harm, it's wrong. Um, and there needs to be severe social penalties, not for the person who is being victimized, but for the people who are, um, without the consent of the parties concerned, turning what was in this instance, and often is the case, you know, something that was never meant in a million years for public consumption into a commodity, into a spectacle. And I think what's really interesting about the whole um the Pamela Anderson sex tape is that you know there's obviously a flesh and blood um, human being at the center of what is and remains and is an ongoing violation I think it's really important to stress that now with with this tv show um but it also is kind of a ground zero for a major change in the culture with the rise of digital media so when you look at that kind of notion of the sex tape as, as a spectacle it arises at a point in time where the media was changing rapidly we had 
the proliferation of, um, you know, TV channels, hungry for entertainment, hungry for cheap news in the form of celebrity gossip, with the rise of the internet, which directly facilitated the distribution of this, you know, um, video as no video of its type had been distributed before. So as a case study in kind of the, the changing nature of the media that leads right up to where we are today, it's both fascinating and horrifying because what Pamela Anderson experienced as a very high profile woman, but no less vulnerable because of that. And in some ways, you know, having particular vulnerabilities because of that is being experienced by people um, in real time today, right across the world um, and with the most horrific consequences. So it's a, you know, we t- and you're so right, Caroline, for, for so when I was growing up, the notion of a, spe- a sex tape was kind of like a joke. It was like silly. Whereas now I think the, the tide has finally turned and we are seeing and, and being reminded of and, and finally taking action for the people who have been victimized by these so-called not a joke at all sex tapes. I think, yeah. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, everything you said there, there's so, there's so much in that. But like, yeah, like if a sex tape came out maybe in the 70s or 80s, it might have been on a VHS tape and that would have been really hard to transmit across the world. And now in seconds, your your images can be transmitted like straight away. But what strikes me about the, the new Pam and Tommy series is like she never consented to that. And I remember Lily James said, oh, I reached out to her loads of times and she didn't want anything to do with it. And it's like, why would she like that was a private moment that must have been incredibly traumatic that like people were just flaunting this video out she went to court to try and stop it and the judge said no actually you're basically public property you don't have a right to do this and years later all that like we're now making more money off her shame and people are getting famous off there like you know that that's a career move for Lily James and the guy's name that's in it who I forget but like you know it's like it doesn't seem to matter about the victim's response to being in these kind of films. Yeah I mean if we want to look at it from let's look at an economic analysis of it right let's talk about the commodification of um, Pamela Anderson as as a public figure but that that in this instance you cannot divorce her public profile from the fact that she is a flesh and blood human being who never consented to any of this and is still suffering as a consequence of it and it's you know um, the ability for however many parties now to sustain that violation and to profit from it is just so distasteful um and i think you know this idea of you know we can learn lessons from this by basically repackaging this material um and this event for an, another type of new media you now a streaming platform you know just goes to the heart of what makes image based sexual abuse such a distinctive and really um pernicious type of violation in in the way that it allows images to circulate so far beyond um people's control you know and and that this can have effects that are so ongoing and so violating um and that even the most high profile and the most powerful women in the world like Pamela Anderson who I'm sure has access to type of of lawyers that most regular people could only dream about you know they cannot make this stuff go away they have lost control and I think that issue of control is absolutely fundamental too because I was just watching the trailer before we came on and uh, there's a point in that where uh, Pamela says to Tommy obviously that this has been acted out we we don't know you know what happened but she's she's making the point to him that this the leak of this tape is is not the same for her 
as it is for him that she stands you know to to be held to a different standard and we know that that's true and we know that that remains the case there are there's a particular price to be paid like he can you know he's a cool rock star kind of a line strange I'm not saying it's right what happened to him but it kind of a there's a kind of a cultural acceptance of his position as a particular type of of, of man in a particular type of role that is just not there for her and I think that issue of control is a fundamental one as well around sex types it's saying to often women who are in the public eye often women who are powerful saying you know we still have this control over you like we can still turn you into an object and you can complain and you can try and push back but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day we can still reduce you to this and I think that that is for a high profile woman for a regular woman for anyone who is the victim of image-based abuse it's just chilling no I just think that point as well about Pamela saying I'm sure she probably said something along these lines in real life, but how she would be treated differently and how it's going to be different for her than it is for Tommy. And one thing I was kind of been thinking about in terms of the whole, just in image leaks and celebrity like tape leaks and all these kinds of things, this access that a lot of people assume that they have to celebrities, it's like, well, they're famous. What do they expect? Or they're putting themselves out there. What do they expect celebrities taking these photos of themselves and thinking that they're not going to get leaked? And it's a kind of attitude I think is particular for female celebrities because I don't know if you know but there's been a lot of discourse especially on TikTok about um, parasocial relationships over the last year and a lot of this was because of John Mulaney's divorce and John Mulaney the uh, comedian separating from his wife then getting with Olivia Munn and a lot of his fans kind of came out because loads of people were like this is mad this is crazy but a lot of his friends came out or not his friends, but his fans came out saying this is really inappropriate. Like he has a private life, and there all these articles started pouring out about parasocial relationships and you know the access that we want to have and the idea that we think that we know celebrities and that they're actually our friends. And it was very interesting how it took a male comedian celebrity whose image is not very sexy. And that's when suddenly we're talking about, oh, celebrities have a right to privacy and we don't know them as people. But when it's Kim Kardashian or Paris Hilton or Pamela Anderson, no, they're open access. Mm. Yeah, there is this notion. This goes back to, I think, I think John Berger captured, captured really well in ways of seeing way back in the 70s uh, when he was talking about, um, you know, European art and the way women were portrayed through this male gaze in, in Europe, classical European art. But he writes, and I'm sure you guys have seen this because it kind of, it floats as a meme on social media. Sometimes you'll see the quotes, but he talks about the notion of complicity and the way that women who are objectified in, in that classical form of art were portrayed in such ways to make them look complicit in their own objectification, that they're inviting this gauge. They want it really. That's why they're staring into a mirror because they're so vain. And they're actually, you know, they're saying, come on, come and get it. And, you know, and ultimately um, they're part of their, their own objectification. There's no room um, in those in that idea of, of, of complicity for the acceptance of women as sexual creatures who are entitled to enjoy their sexuality free from the threat of, you know, um, this camera is going to be pointed at you and, and you're going to lose control of an aspect of yourself that is, you know, that we all have as human beings, but women have a higher price to pay for simply acting on something that makes that that is you you know specific to the human condition and it is that it's 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 a complete double standard isn't it like for all the advances that we've made we still have to acknowledge like we still you still have to say if you're being honest to young women you're like no there is there is a higher price to be paid here and that's not to justify it but it is to say that we have this notion of complicity of when it comes to women and sexuality that and you know if you want to really break it down what it ultimately is saying is if you want to take all the technology out of it 
It's like a woman engaging in sexual activity deserves what she gets. It is, isn't it? It's, I want to say it's shocking, but it's not shocking how little we've come away from that. Uh, you know, on the surface, we think we have and we think we've really empowered people. But really, that's still there. You know, and we still see that in, in public stuff that comes forward. And in Ireland, we had things like Slain Girl, who was like had to leave the country because she was so hounded out of things. But I'm going back to the, the, the fans and what Alex said there about that relationship with fans. And I remember when Chris Evans, remember, he accidentally put up a picture of his penis it was in like his camera roll and all his fans like mobilized on twitter so they bombarded the hashtag and anything with his name with like cute dog pictures and stuff so that like it pushed it down and made it like really hard to find but i don't see that same kind of coming out for other female celebrities i mean remember when um the fappening happened so this is going back it is actually before me too really but it's not that far like 2014 and this was like everyone was like laughing at this everyone's like oh no it's terrible but then going home to google the pictures and you know we had people like um jennifer lawrence and it would have been like the the height of her kind of burgeoning career coming forward and she correctly named that as a sex crime and i think that was one of the first times we started realizing actually digital sexual violence is a thing but it's still like that was taken seriously by feminists but it wasn't taken seriously by the world at large so that double standard is still kind of there. I mean, what are we dealing with here when people can just hack people like celebrities or even like personal people, um, non-celebrity people, hack their private content and put it out there and then be told, well, it's your fault for taking these pictures in the first place. We're we're dealing with attitudes, Caroline, that uh, we can find in the Bible. We're dealing with attitudes that are as old as human civilization, and they presume complicity on behalf of women. And there's a particular desire, I think, as well, to control and overpower women um, in the sense of using shame and uh, vilification to say to them, you know, First of all, you can't fight back because by virtue of the fact of being sexual, you're automatically guilty. That leaves women nowhere to to maneuver and it it automatically makes female sexuality or even our own relationship to ourselves, like like, like feeling good about yourself and wanting to capture that or having feeling that you have agency over your sexuality. You simply want to express it. All of that is pathologized. It's it's made to be bizarre and strange and something that you really should know better about, ladies. Um, And I... I wish I could be more optimistic about this, but, you know, when you look back to um, the great work done by by the cultural theorists of the second wave, and I'm talking talking about, you know, um, the recently deceased brilliant bell hooks i'm talking about people like laura mulvey who did such a good job of creating the theoretical um frameworks for really calling this stuff out and identifying it and yet here we are and i still feel like those insights have somehow not sufficiently translated through enough into the mainstream where people don't even those reactions that you described they're they're still treated as natural and inevitable like what else did you expect and it's it's that it's that point that you know like like breaking those assumptions like having that moment of pause or that interrogation to go no actually no that's not what the issue is here the issue is this compulsion that people have men and indeed in some cases women to shame to control to forever make you know the weakest link the most deviant thing female sexuality uh, and why that is why is that the case and I think part of the reason it's the case is because female sexuality is so powerful 
You know, there's a real power in female sexuality and it's something, it's a desire to control that um, and to uh, deny that and to, and of course, again, to go back to the economics of all this, which I think is really important to profit from it, right? To profit from those impulses um, and to hold these women up as something to be judged and shamed. And then of course, in the age of the internet, in the age of mass media, to convert all of that attention and all of that engagement into what else? Metrics into cash. Um, I, that actually just really reminds me, and I loved your shout out to Laura Mulvey. I did film in my undergrad and Laura Mulvey just carried me throughout my four years. But what you were saying really reminded me of, I found this quote in a New York Times article about the whole Hulk Hogan versus Gawker debacle that happened a couple of years ago. And it was a quote from one of, I think it was the Gawker um, lawyers opening statements to the jury. And it was just really jarring about how he worded it. So um so this is a new york times quote it says in his opening statement a lawyer for the gawker team michael berry told the jury that videotapes featuring celebrities like paris hilton and kim kardashian having sex have become a quote-unquote cultural phenomenon and that such images are of interest to the public and therefore protected by the first amendment and i thought it was an interesting take to say the least that because of their status as celebrities that it's like your your image doesn't belong to you anymore and it's actually the public we own it and I just thought that was what do you think about that take I think it's absolutely chilling right celebrities are not politicians they haven't been entrusted with um you know voted in based on part of you know presenting a particular image of themselves to the world that translates to their politics I think that's quite a different thing celebrities maybe can become famous um for projecting uh, an image that doesn't tally with who they are uh, in real life and there may be a case to be made for reporting on that however I don't think that 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 includes, and even for politicians, I don't think that that includes um, circulating or profiting from or selling a sex tape. I just, you know, if, you know, we're going to talk about consent, I'm sure. And, you know, I always, when I'm talking about consent with students, I always try to see, get them to see it in, in, in its broadest capacity. And in its broadest capacity, what consent is about, and this applies whether you're talking about, you know, intimate relations between two people, whether you're talking about someone's relationship to their body, someone's relationship to the data that's been amassed on them. At all stages, consent is about recognising the dignity of the human being and their their autonomy and and their uniqueness and respecting that and and that conception out of consent has been developed from some of the darkest periods in human history when those things were not you know absorbed with horrendous consequences and so you know you can talk about free speech i am you know bring on the free speech but we we know the free speech is tempered necessarily so and i i, I think i think it's a reach to try and say that free speech is somehow served by the distribution of a tape like that stolen from Pamela Anderson and, and distributed without her consent. I, I don't see how that protects speech, you know, and, and you know, we're, we're not talking about, for example, you know, with the case of, of Hustler magazine or something like that, you know, that, that speech is, is allowed. It's, you know, but that's a very, very different type of scenario. I think like um, the, the free speech versus money argument like, like that we've both said it's it's so important like at least Hulk Hogan won his um his his um battle court battle and got like 115 million or, or something wild but someone like Paris Hilton when she had her tape out like she said she didn't make any money off it but like 
It was still like the whole Hogan thing was still a joke, you know, because like the guy in it was named Bubba, Bubba the Love Sponge, which everyone was like, OK, this is comedy gold. Um, and that became like the talking point more so than like what you're saying there, the dignity and, and everything else. And even with Paris, you know, the fact that it was called One Night in Paris, um, it just led to so much money for other people. Like South Park made an episode about her. They called her a stupid spoiled whore. Like every late night talk show had content on her every like newspaper was filled with this and it was just like people couldn't get enough but at the same time they're making so much money off it and it was only I mean Paris Hilton's a very divisive figure for some people because you know she played the the bimbo type but she did that deliberately and like that was her brand like the simple life was an incredible fascinating show um but people didn't pay any attention to her like she spoke out in two documentaries and said actually like I feel like I've been digitally raped here like this feels like an extreme um violation and even after me too people were still like oh but we don't like Paris and we don't like Kim Kardashian we don't like what the Kardashians have done to the world so there's still that element of like do you have to be likable to get sympathy or like if we don't like you is it okay is it ethical that we can just make loads of money off you then like where do we go with that I think that is yeah I that's a great question Caroline because you know as as far as I'm concerned you know uh, and um we if this was a court of law that and we we were the first to say that like whether or not the 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 victim is likable or not has no place in those types of deliberations the what has a place is what happened okay and and, and who's guilty of of what right I think there's and I, I again, I wonder, does it have something to do with high profile, powerful women that there is an automatic distrust and an automatic, well, she can't be too badly off. You know, she's she chose this. She's in the public eye. She's you know, she's attractive. She's inviting the gay. She wants to be a celebrity. She works in this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's it's still this kind of unwillingness to see, you know, um, and I want to say oh, unwillingness to see the audience's own complicity in a lot of this, right? Unwillingness to be turned back and be like, why am I Googling this? Why do I want to watch this? Why am I paying for this? Like, what does that say about us? Like, you know, what does that, it's, you know, we can talk about the media and we can talk about these women, but maybe as well, we should be talking about audiences. And I think a lot of the time when we look at digital culture and let's go back and, and like kind of put a marker down um, with, with the Pamela Anderson sex tape and say that, you know, we're from from you know the mid nineties onwards. We're living through a time of that is like a, a massive transformation in communications and, te- and technology, the likes of which we haven't seen for centuries, and that we still haven't figured it out. We still haven't figured out norms and etiquettes around this type of um, the, these types of behaviors. Um, and that's not to excuse anything, but it is to say, I suppose, if we you know in, in talking about this. We also need to talk about the fact that there's clearly a demand for it and where that demand comes from and the kind of responsibilities that audiences have, you know, as much as, you know, as much as platforms and governments and people who make policy have responsibilities and they surely do. There is an element of, you know, and I, and I encourage this, you know, when I'm talking to people about how they use social media, for example, of stopping to look at your own behavior and asking yourself, you know, what, what am I being motiv- motivated by? Why am I, you know, watching this or searching for this, whatever the case may be? Um, and I think that that I think I think it's important to emphasize that as a significant part of the equation as well, because, you know, and that leads back, of course, to profit and attention and all of these things. But I think it is important. 
I think one really interesting thing that um, comes up in just all the things that we're talking about, and it's not just about image-based abuse or like tapes being leaked, it's kind of all forms of sexual violence. We've talked about it before is the idea of a perfect victim, quote unquote, and who gets to be afforded the, the empathy and the sympathy and the status of being a victim. And when it comes to people like Pamela Anderson, whose image was like, her image was like bombshell sex idol. And especially Paris Hilton as well, like kind of the shallow rich girl, Kim Kardashian as well, like just a shallow rich girl trying to get famous. The idea that she leaked the tape herself to try and replicate Paris Hilton's fame and all these kind of rumors following them. And it's so interesting how we perceive them. And I think particularly with image based abuse and what everything happened with the discord leak that happened in Ireland last year, the fact that so many of those were only fans creators who were creating images but then the images were leaked kind of to the masses without their consent, without them getting any money from it the way they would on their platform. Mm-hmm. And how we in particular look at image-based abuse and especially those kind of people that have very sexualized images. And we think, well, what did they expect would happen? Or like, what did they think would happen? Like we should get, we're entitled to this kind of access from them. And do you think that maybe the kind of idea of the victim is much more pronounced in those cases or who gets to be the victim? Yeah, who gets to be who gets to be the victim? Yeah, I mean it's a god, isn't it? An awful game that women are forced to play. You know, who gets to be the victim? And the sad thing is, and I think, you know, there's a lesson for everybody, everybody in in what has happened, um, in all those examples that you mentioned. There's a, a lesson for anybody with who is in any way engaged with the internet. The internet gives us this impression that we have control over what we do on it often. It gives us this impression we have control over our image, we have control of the messages we send, we have control over the the posts that we put up there. But in the very moment that we are exercising that control, the internet, by virtue of the fact of the way it's designed, can take that control away from us, from any of us, in ways that can have absolutely catastrophic effects. And all of those women that you mentioned, Alexander, Alexandra, are examples of, of that in, in relation to image-based sexual abuse. But that's not the only um, time when that can happen, you know. And instead of being like, my gosh, you know, is it, it, it's kind of worrying that we have let this technology develop or we've let these these cultural ideas persist that kind of always puts it back on victims instead of standing back and being like well in that case that could happen to anyone that could I mean that could happen to, you know it, it, anyone can be find themselves at the mercy of, of these technologies working in ways we hadn't we could never have anticipated or intended there, you know there's just no compassion there's just no sense of our own vulnerability. There's no sense of the fact that, yes, somebody might be famous. They might be in the public eye. They might be very beautiful and very successful, but they are no less human because of that. And they are no less deserving than, you know, um, proper um, proper justice, proper support um, and uh, privacy. You know, there's just this kind of idea that, you know, I, I, I'd hate to keep going on about complicity, but I think all roads kind of lead back to that, you know, because it's I'm just as we're talking here now, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, um, Pamela Anderson, but we can literally stagger it by by five years. You know, we've got Pamela Anderson, we've got Paris Hilton, we've got the fappening, the, we've got OnlyFans, which I think is, is you know, such a, a, a there's so much in that example in OnlyFans because creators are promised a kind of, a, a you know, read agency over their content and have been so badly let down 
you know. Um, and again, there seems to be even even talking about the situation with OnlyFans, I, I find so frustrating because this is like misplaced emphasis on, you know, uh, what are these girls doing? And you're like, well, th- there's actually a, a lot of rationales for what these girls are doing. Um, can we talk about, please, the way the technology is failing them and the way the cultural attitudes are failing them? But having those conversations is still um it still feels very niche and it, it just doesn't feel mainstream in the way that it needs to be and it, it very much needs to be very mainstream and when but this is kind of all like you said it's been very small in Ireland for a long time like we didn't name this as sexual violence we didn't we, we use the term revenge porn if we even thought of it and it wasn't really I think until the discord server happened in Ireland so for those who are listening and not familiar this was the the leak of I think it was like hundreds of thousands of images by the time you know everything was counted on it um of women and children like you know teenagers as well that this is something we have to talk about too um and they're grouped by a category of people from Kildare or 15 year olds or 17 year olds and that was a huge conversation and that was what actually was the impetus to finally get the laws in place because people have been begging for these laws since December um, 2017 and they finally kind of you know were signed into law by the president in December 2020 so that's three years of having to actually beg for a bit of dignity and to, a, a little bit of um, protection there but but talk to me you know like we said we talk about the, the girls and we talk about and obviously image-based piece happens to all genders but in this particular example of the discord that was like pretty much exclusively girls and non-binary people and and trans women um so there was a very gender-based crime but talk to me then about what what do you think was going on with the perpetrators like do they even do you think they even saw it as as sexual violence or is it just entertainment there's been yeah and there's been some really um because I'm going to use the word interesting, but I use that word advisedly, um, but very necessary and urgent research into what's known as collector cultures coming out recently. Um, And basically it is, you know, kind of um, online communities that that revolve around um, collecting, so to speak, images of women, you know, um, whether it's with, you know, from whatever websites, um, obviously I'm, I'm talking about uh, communities that are primarily you know men um from from what from what we can see so far um and it is a case of and again to go back to that idea of power you know that idea of watching and being able to control women through the gaze which has always been you know to go back to Laura Mulvey um has, has always been a part of media criticism but of course now the means of production are in the hands of everyone because we all have phones we all have cameras we all can make videos very very easily so I know when I was researching the, the visibility trap one of the most depressing exercises I undertook was to search the hashtag creep shot on Twitter so this is the mainstream of the internet this is not you know often and some corner of of 4chan or something this is everyday social media and you just encounter image after image of women photographed videoed walking down the street browsing shops eating in restaurants but the images are framed in such a way that they're being objectified and they're being watched without their awareness and the hashtag allows other people from this quote-unquote community to to watch and join in and so on and so forth and I wish that this I wish I was reading you this from some kind of dystopian novel uh you know (laughs) that is it's not real it's you know but it is 
it is real. And the the capacities of the type of male gaze that Laura Mulvey describes, which is deeply objectifying and concerned with control, and in some cases even destroying women to have the ultimate control over them, has been, for those who feel that way, for, to feel that inclination, the technology has enabled them to extend that gaze as never before. So it's not just the studio system of certain directors and certain, you know, whatever, telling the camera to do this to women on screen. It is that kind of gaze is in everyday life now. And what I mean by that is that that type of watching and looking and um, capturing and recording. And then, of course, it's it doesn't end there because it goes into a circulation, right? It goes into a sharing and a, and, and, a, and becomes part of a community building type thing. And I, I like even talking about this, I find, I find just so depressing um, because, you know, because the same technology that has allowed women to represent themselves as never before with all the benefits of that has also enabled this. And I don't know where you begin to to try and 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 really drill down into tackling this kind of thing because I'm not even sure some of it will be regarded as criminal, quote unquote. People probably like, oh, it's just a bit of fun. It's just a bit, but there's no consent involved. So I mean, what are you, you know, there's I mean, there's so much there. But I think again, it just goes to show um the degree to which those centuries old attitudes are both guiding and being renewed by what we often refer to as progress when it comes to technology, right? So it was progress when it comes to technology that allowed the distribution of, of Pamela Anderson's sex tape against her will back in the 1990s. And here we are, and that quote-unquote progress is now on steroids, okay? We look at deep fake pornography and AI and so on and so forth. Um, so Carol, I'm sorry, that is so depressing. And I, I don't even know if I've answered, but I mean, I mean, that is, I suppose, my personal perspective when I'm going, oh God, what have we created? That's what I think of when I, I just think, oh, oh my. And one thing I kind of just picked up on there when you were talking, I feel like whenever we think about the celebrity sex tapes like Paris Hilton, Pamela Anderson, Kim Kardashian being some of the bigger ones, I was even thinking, I was like, the biggest ones are always the ones that were released against their consent and the, all these things you've been talking about like the voyeurism of like upskirting photos and just that surveillance the like as much of the power in that is from the fact that the subject that you're taking a photo of hasn't consented and doesn't know anything about it because you know if it was just about getting off like yeah there's only fans creators there's plenty of consenting adult creators making content and profiting from it and it's all very above board but just the idea of taking the of of it being so much more alluring when the subject hasn't consented or whenever they have no say in it and it just comes back to that power dynamic of I'm exerting power over this person with something as simple as a camera or by just resharing something that they just I know that they don't want to see but just the idea that it's so much more alluring whenever we know that consent has been negated mm. yeah I think there's a lot in that none of it's good uh, it's just I mean yes and I and I and I I think again that speaks to the notion of wanting to control. It speaks to the notion of objectification, like removing someone's humanity. So you just turn them into an object that can't answer back. And you know, and and that is then heightened by the fact that they did not want this to happen to them. You know, this it's it's almost like a kind of adds to the pleasure of, of someone who's seeking to violate somebody else it's it's really unnerving that's a great point Alexandra yeah for sure right that level 
it really isn't a level of sadism really like because it's that extra cruelty because it's not like what's that that quote like rape is not about sex rape is about power because you can have all the consensual sex out there in the world that you want but like there are still people who will choose to rape because they get off on it they like it they like hurting other people and people did this long in person before any kind of media came along and it's probably no surprise then that like they these kind of people that enjoy inflicting cruelty on people will use a tool like the internet like it's you know when I worked in refuges it was like you know as soon as people left like their perpetrator would use social media to abuse the person it's not that Facebook is evil it's just a tool in this person's arsenal and I'm reminded as well of um a podcast I did for Glow West and that was with um, Megan Maz and she like it's just really stuck with me that she said um, a lot of girls in her research they'd find that what what the boys were doing to them and again it was gendered that she didn't find women doing this or young women doing this Um, the boys would not only sexually assault them but prop them up so they would be so blackout drunk or under the influence or whatever they'd prop them up and pose them and take the picture of that aspect and it's and then share that picture around so it's just like there's some level of enjoyment in getting off on, on the humiliation and the, the lack of control and like if I it's just like what like how how have we got to that point in our society where young people see that as as an option but then I kind of think well that's been inbred in us we're talking about the lack of consent look at every old school Hollywood movie you'd always grab the girl and she'd say no but then you'd force her to kiss her and she's like oh actually I really like this now and then we see that in porn all the time it's a lack of consent thing and people have to be won around and even going back to like old westerns like women were this prize that you had to rescue and save and that you know you'd end up marrying them afterwards and their opinion in that didn't come into it so think and again you're going back to like you said like bible times and things like this is long ingrained in our society so it's like it's no it, we shouldn't be surprised by it but we are yeah. because it's just so horrific to see I mean like our next step on this I suppose when you were saying earlier of um we didn't think this would happen or maybe you know the internet just became this wild west of things but what we saw in the discord server where there are people who are children at the time of those images and our children are posing for these images because that's what you do like in schools and stuff it's like people are sending all these pictures for social currency for social capital um just to be like the cool kid in the class but like we now have children who don't understand the full consequences of that and we have like images out there of children who don't you know and maybe taken technically consensually but like you know obviously a 14 15 year old can't actually legally consent so it's like where on earth do we go with the the child aspect of image-based abuse because we know this is going on now and a lot of people at that age group don't see this as sexual violence no they don't I mean there's part of me Caroline that's like burn it all down um, take the phones away, take social media away, make, make social media something you can access when you're 18. Um, and I mean, I think there's a huge role with social media companies um, to be played with regard to all of this, all of this. Um, but I'm also wary as well because it's it's perfectly natural to be curious about these things at that age. And, you know, in an ideal scenario, that curiosity would be protected and it would be safe. 
Um, but the internet and social media as it exists now means that you can take, as a 14-year-old girl going out to a disco with her friends, a completely innocent photograph of you with a group in your, you know, going out clothes or whatever, put that on the internet and then find that that has been used in some other capacity with stuff projected onto it that was never your intention, that you're far too young to understand. And to um, and there's been a lot of talk recently about the type of attention young women on TikTok are getting um, from, from men who are a lot older. Um, and of course, as, as young women, they're not necessarily, you know, in, in tweens and, and in their teens, they don't have the life experience. They're not sure how to react to this type of, of behavior and my question is not what, what these um young women are doing because they're hanging out on tiktok where all their friends are hanging out we, it's it's like it's like hanging out in the park on a saturday afternoon um my question is how is is to go back to caroline to what you're saying is that question of access like how can it be you know um and we know how it is because we have this notion of the internet as this open place, this place where ideas can circulate, this people can talk to each other or the rest of it. And that is well and good. But child protection has to come first. I mean, that is black and white in my mind. Um, you know, and I I think we're nowhere near where we need to be. I think the technology has has rushed so far ahead of us that there, there's a real danger that one generation or more of young people is really are really being let down. Um, and as it is, it's not like they can turn around when they're older and be like, can you make sure all that stuff is taken down? Can you make sure, you, they, they, you know, that facility, we, we haven't even begun to put in place um, the ability to control your data in a meaningful way for people who are growing up online. I think that's absolutely paramount. Um, and so you, you, you create a situation where it is, um, you know, wildly uncontrolled, but at the same time, there's a huge emphasis on, for young people on being active online. I mean, look at after the pandemic and everything else, it's, it's almost non-negotiable at that stage, at this stage for a lot of young people and a lot of people in general. Um, and yet we're leaving them with such blunted tools to try and navigate this territory. Um, and of course, there are particular vulnerabilities that come, that come with being um, a child, young person online. And I think there's so, so much work to be done in that area. One thing, actually, just you bringing up TikTok, like, don't get me wrong, I love TikTok. I really think there's a lot of really fantastic things about the app and there's so many great things that come of it. But just the idea, I think it's just the access that's quite scary. Like, I know you can have private accounts and all that kind of thing, but the way that the algorithm works, that it's showing your like any if I made a video, anyone in the world could see it and they could, it will just pop up on their for you page. And especially yeah, if you're just like a young girl or a young child that you have no control over who and I'm, we've spoken about the fact that we don't really have control anyway but I suppose whenever you're on your apps or on your social media profiles you have this perceived sense of control but when it comes to TikTok it really is just flung out there to the masses mm. and just that kind of I wonder what it's doing because I mean I would have grown up a little bit on the internet like I Bebo MySpace that was kind of what the era I was growing up in but what do you think it's doing, maybe especially to kids and young teenagers and young teenage girls in particular, just to be so assimilated into this surveillance and to grow up with it and to be kind of that re the idea of like an internal voyeur that you get definitely as like young women, like how you are really socialized to objectify yourself and see yourself through the eyes of someone else. But what do you think it's doing? Maybe it's, it's, got, it's just on a whole other level now that it's never been before. What yeah. do you think it's doing to maybe young teenagers to surveil themselves and to be surveilled this way and to be to experiencing that in such formative years mm -hmm. 
So John Berger's book, um, I, I always quote Berger, but I'm going to go back to him again, is, is called Ways of Seeing. And it was a landmark book and it was a landmark documentary series by um, the BBC back in the 70s. I think we are in the middle of cultivating and being shaped by new ways of seeing that have and are heavily shaped by technology. Um, I don't know if you guys were uh, paying attention to the New York Times leaks of um, research from Facebook, specifically on Instagram. Lots of material in there, but um, some of which utterly confirmed the concerns and, and research and research done by academics that show that, you know, for particular young women, women who have vulnerabilities um, in when it comes to body image, of which, you know, at, when you're a teenager, most most of us do have you seen the culture it's a hellscape I don't know how you wouldn't um have at least some body issues when you're that age and indeed you know going forward it's just it's again we talk about attitudes that just persist body image issues um for women is certainly one of them um and you know it it shows a link between being heavily uh, engaged in these spaces particularly when it comes to practices that orientate around beauty okay um and and the impact that that can have on your sense of self and on your mental health so if you're on there and and this is why I think you know media literacy around all of this stuff is so important so the research suggests if you're on Instagram and you're using it to take pictures of nice sunsets and post them or pictures of your food or you're into DIY and you're looking for inspiration you'll probably have quite a nice time but if you're on there for whatever reason because you have specific types of vulnerabilities as all human beings do and you're looking for validation and you're looking to be told that you're beautiful and you're looking to um, compete, we'll say, um, in, in a friendship group for popularity. It can be so utterly destructive, you know. Um, so you have the normal trials and tribulations of being a teenager. It has ever been thus. It's not necessarily an easy time in people's lives. But now you throw in um, the expectations and the all-seeing eye that is Instagram or that is TikTok, you build in ranking mechanisms, you build in judgment mechanisms, you build in the facility for things that you are ashamed of or embarrassed of to be circulated in ways you cannot control. And just as I'm describing it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's, you know, it's so, it was already tough and now it's been made so much tougher. Um, And I don't think that we are, you know, supporting young people enough and saying to them, you don't have to be active in these spaces or you can be highly selective about your activity in these spaces or you should be demanding so much more from these companies who are providing these so-called products that are so poor, that are so, the business model is so flawed that it nudges you towards, you know, algorithms nudging you towards material that actually could be deeply harmful for you because you once you search on Instagram for something related to body, body image or diet or something and suddenly you're getting this deluge of content. You know, if you're if if attention is currency online and it is, you should be really, really ruthless about where you spend yours. That's what I would say to young people. Be like, is this is this making you feel good? Is this adding to your life? Be mindful, work out what is, work out what isn't, and then get rid in so far as it's possible. I know it's not easy when all your mates are, you know, wherever there is, they're they're hanging out. But I just think cultivating, beginning to cultivate that awareness and going into these platforms with your eyes wide open, been like, you know these platforms are not free there is a level of exploitation that is impacting all of us 
And depending on your age, depending on what type of vulnerability you have, so on, you know, and again, that's something you need to be kind of conscious of yourself because we're all different. We all, we all bring different baggage to the way we use social media. But again, just just to be aware of, of those aspects because we don't talk about that, you know. It's for so long the conversations we've had about this technology have only talked about it in terms of progress. And that's beginning to change, but you know, we've a long way to go yet. We really, really do. And I think that's just such good advice. And I know like sometimes it's nice to wrap up an episode with like a nice neat bow and say, here's the answer. But in in this case, yeah, I totally agree with you that we don't really have the answer because we're just figuring all this out as we go. It's this massive like social experiment and we're trying to figure it out but um yeah like you said just trying to protect yourself as much as you can and if it's free you're the product you know that I think that's a kind of handy thing um to have but yeah just try and be a little bit mindful and reflective of your own internet use it can be hard it's just it's such a huge topic we might have to come back to this on another episode and I, I think we will um because we're gonna have to but um in the meantime Mary where can people find you and remind us of your awesome book again Ah, thank you, Caroline. Uh, the book is The Visibility Trap, and um, Sexism, Surveillance and Social Media out from the wonderful New Island Books. And you can get me on Twitter, God help me, <laughs> for, at Miss um, M-S Mary McGill, M-A-R-Y-M-G-M-C-G-I-L-L. Fantastic. Thank you. And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes as well for people so they can um, find you easily. And Alex, where can people find us? So people can find us also on Twitter, God help us all, Um, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Active Consent, where we're talking about consent every day of the week and everything around the topic. And um, yeah, and you can also find us on our new website, consenthub.ie, in partnership with the Department of Justice and the Department of Further and Higher Education, where we've got resources for educators, parents, young people over and under 17, all around the idea of consent and learning resources, learning materials, all sorts of great stuff. Fantastic. And yeah, look, that wraps up in in another episode. You know, we really enjoy getting to have the chats with all yourselves all about um, pop culture and consent. We are starting to do live podcasts in person. You can look back to the previous episode on episode three. That was our first ever live podcast. But if you want us to come to your college, your university, wherever it is, we can do a live podcast there and then in front of actual human beings. Imagine being around other humans now after two years of COVID. So drop us a line reach out on consenthub.ie and we will happily travel down to you and put on a fantastic show and um yeah once you give us some popcorn we'll be more than happy to go with that so and thanks everyone and we will chat to you next time